Welcome everyone to um, Anvil's Innovation of Work podcast. I am very excited about our guest today, uh, Chet Brandon, who has a amazing background in EHS, a very interesting story. And he has uh, a lot of great ideas about where he'd like to see technology go. So uh, without further ado, Chet, welcome today to our podcast. Thank you, Robin. It's great to be uh, talking with the Anvil team again. Uh, I always enjoy our interactions and thinking about the future and, and how safety fits into that and how technology is a piece of that. So I've been looking forward to this, uh, this video conference all day. Well, likewise. So just a little bit about your background, and then I'm going to let you uh, provide a little bit more because you've got a really uh, broad depth in, in terms of your experience and skills. So uh, currently uh, Division Director of Global HSE at Special Metals, which is a business unit of Precision Cast Parts Corporation, and it includes uh, 13 sites in Europe, Australia, and the U.S. Uh, very big role. And, uh, you know, I think we can kind of get into a little bit more about your background and talking about your journey into EHS, which is very interesting. Uh, could you share a little bit about your origin story and, and how you got into this business? Uh, absolutely. I'll try and keep it uh, short because, you know, who, who really cares about somebody's background to that level? But as safety professionals, it is always interesting to hear how, how we got to where we are. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I started very young, uh, not knowing what I was interested in, not, not knowing what it was called, but I had an interest in safety and emergency response and mechanical uh, things, uh, planes, trains, automobiles, especially airplanes. Right. And, uh, you know, I had all these, these ideas floating around my head and I was, uh, as, a, as a young uh, person, you know, a child more or less, I was thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do with all this, but it seems cool. And as time went on, I, I began to find kind of a path that ultimately would lead me to safety. But it really started off with, um, with the Apollo moon missions. And I was very young at that time. In fact, so uh -huh. young, I don't, I don't even remember them. I, you know, <laughs> they kind of culminated in the late 60s, early 70s. And yeah. that's, I was born in 68. So, but the thing that caught my attention was a picture of the, uh, the first Apollo mission, the one that exploded or caught fire on the uh, launch pad. Yeah. And it really surprised me as a child flipping through a book, looking at those pictures, I was too young to read, so I didn't really know what, what it was saying, but I knew something had happened. Right. It was bad. And then a few years later, I happened back across that book, and I was able to read then, and I remembered the pictures. They were always interesting to me, and I read the, the picture caption, and it said it was where Gus Grissom and two fellow astronauts had passed away. They were killed in a training exercise on the launch pad. And I remember thinking to myself, how are we going to get to the moon if we can't even keep these guys safe on the launch pad in training? And it just, just, it, it concerned me greatly that, that that happened. And of course, the whole country was concerned with it. Sure. I've done a lot of reading on that since, and there are many tentacles to that. And oh, no, that's a whole other podcast. If, <laughs> yeah, that'll be our next one. Yeah. But the, the interesting point to me was that I began to realize there are people out in this world that keep other people safe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, time went on. I grew up. I ended up in college and I had the opportunity to interface with some safety professionals then. At the time, I was in business. I was in a business school. In fact, was on my way to graduating with a business degree. But something was missing from that. You know, I just it was interesting to me, but it wasn't it for me. And I was trying to find the it thing, you know. 
and uh, talked to the safety professionals. They told me what they did. I realized all those things that I've been interested in, science, a little bit of math, uh, you know, engineering, uh, how things work mechanically, uh, the, the, system, the systemic parts of business. Right. Uh, my, my degree is actually in economics, which is all about the, the, the financial and economic systems that societies really are, are based mm -hmm. on. So it all kind of came together and I realized safety was the place that I could take all that, what seemed to be trivial and kind of disconnected information and put it together into something that went back to the core of protecting people, which I found to be very, very rewarding and interesting. Oh, I love That's that. really what, what brought me into safety. And I was fortunate to work for some great safety professionals. Uh, I started off with a company that was previously Union Carbide, mm -hmm. one of Union Carbide's founding divisions, the metals division. Um, and just great knowledge going back, you know, into the last century then, well, two centuries ago now. Yeah, yeah. Late 1800s, all through the, the, the 20th century, rather. And the Union Carbide was a, a major player in industrial society, really globally. Right. And uh, so, you know, I got my start there and really un began to understand how things fit together. And, and that really took me on a journey from engineering, which is important, but into people. And realizing that the greatest asset in protecting people is people. <laughs> so I ended up with a degree in safety technology, and then I went back to school and got a second degree in industrial psychology, uh, both masters. So I could better understand how people make these decisions and how can I influence those decisions uh, to get the best outcome for, for all of us, which certainly includes keeping them safe at work. Right. So that's kind of my journey. You know, I'm, I've, I've always been a heavy industry guy, but I've had some soirees into other industries. <laughs> Special metals is back into heavy industry, molten metal, you know, furnaces, cranes, that sort of thing. But uh, I've learned a lot from every industry. And I think that's really, at this point in my career, um, coming up on 30 years in, yeah. I really feel like this is the most productive time of my career because I've got all this information collected from uh, really a lifetime of of work as a safety professional. And I'm so excited to be able to share that not only with my employer, but also with young people coming into the profession yeah. or mid-career people who are trying to figure out that next step. And that's really been something I've enjoyed. Yeah, no, I love the fact that this starts out as, as, as a small child with an interest and a care about people, because that's such an important thread to run through uh, a safety career, you know, and, and whether you're trying to engineer controls to make people be, help people be safer and to avoid kind of that human piece uh, or, or that human engagement. So I love the fact that it goes all the way back uh, to, to such an early part of your life. Um, I, I want to talk just a bit about um, a recent job change that you had and how that ties back to a very early part of your career, which has a a bit of that back to future-ish uh, kind of sense to it. Could you talk a little bit about, about your current role and uh, kind of the genesis where you've kind of come full circle with, with the company you're with now? Absolutely. It is an interesting story and it tells you how dynamic a safety professional's career is. But uh, the, the short version of the story is that as I was getting that degree in industrial safety, there was a, a school, a, a, a large company nearby that was uh, known to offer really good internships for safety professionals. Right. And that's one of the things I had committed to myself. As an undergraduate, I didn't do a very good job of getting an internship. So I came out of school, I had a weakness there in my resume, and it was difficult. 
Yeah. So when I went back to school, I thought, I'm not going to make that mistake again. I'm going to do whatever <laughs> it takes to get a, uh, an internship. And I told the professor that the first semester. Yeah. So we get through the first semester and it's in the summertime. And uh, me and a friend had started this lawn mowing business and uh, we, were, <laughs> we were cutting grass together over the summer making book money. Right. Went to beer, but <laughs> as it usually does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We were old enough then. You know, we were in our our uh, early twenties. But anyway, I remember I was walking out the door one day, and the phone rang. This is before cell phones were you know prevalent, and it was that professor who who did the internship assignments. Right. He said, "Hey, Chad, I got great news. You know, you said you'd do whatever you could for an internship, and I told you'd be probably a year, maybe a year and a half, before I could get you one. Well, something has happened." And I've got an internship for you. And it's a good one. It's with yeah. the heavy industry. It's right here in town. Um, I said, oh, great. His name was Dr. Treadway. Great, Dr. Treadway. Uh, when's it start? He goes, well, that's the thing. It starts <laughs> in about 30 minutes. Oh, uh, wow. Somebody's been in line a whole year. And, and they called me at the last minute and said they couldn't do it. And I thought of you. Oh, wow. Yeah, but Doc, you know, I got this lawn mowing business. And <laughs> supposed to meet my buddy. We got this big grass we're going to cut. And he says, well, Jeff. I guess you got a decision to make. You're going to be a lawn boy the rest of your life, or are you going to be a safety professional? And he hung up on me. <laughs> so uh, he left me with the, the opportunity, and, and yeah. I, I did choose. I told myself I'd do whatever it took. So I went to a company called Inco Alloys, mm -hmm. which is now part of Special Metals. Yeah. So I spent a year at Inco learning how to be a safety professional, and it was an excellent experience. Uh, they make uh, nickel-based super alloys, so think um, – high temperature, high strength alloys for aerospace, like engine, gotcha. yeah. uh, oil, oil refinery type uh, applications, mm -hmm. power generation, you know, steam plant, that sort of thing. Right. So, you know, pretty interesting stuff, very wide ranging operation, everything from melting metal to making finished flat rolled product. Right. So, you know, big exposure. So spent a year there um, as a result of that metals industry experience. That's how I got into Union Carbide's hot metals division. Right. That led me to automotive, into aerospace, and into glass container manufacturing. Uh, a, a brief stint in, well, not really that brief, a five-year stint in occupational health. Okay. It was a, a little bit of a, that's fairly recent, a little bit of a detour for me, but it was a chance to, I was the VP of operations for mm -hmm. this organization, and it was a chance to, to run a large business. So there was 300 people that reported into my team. And to get that experience of running a large team and being part of the profit and loss of the company and all that without getting too far away from safety. Mm -hmm. But when that assignment kind of came to its end, and I knew it would eventually, I was thinking, man, I'd like to get back in heavy industry. That's really my love. Yeah. And uh, the opportunity came to come back, well, to come to Special Metals. And one of the sites that I'm now responsible for is that site that I started with as a student 30 years ago. Isn't that amazing? There's still a lot of continuity there. My father had worked at that site briefly yeah. in his, his college journey. And uh, just it's at this point in my career, it's nice to come home. And I spoke of accumulating all this knowledge. Right. It really means a lot to me to bring it back and give it back to that site that really gave me the opportunity to get started. So it's I, been a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I just I absolutely love the story. And I think I, I guess at this point, you're probably very grateful you decided to take that internship over your over your lawn business. <laughs> that's, I I that's awesome. Well, so, uh, you know, I, I haven't heard too many stories about people who truly have come full circle to where they started and now are responsible for 
such a large portion of an organization that they used to be part of as, as an individual. Could you talk a little bit about how things are, are different? Obviously, a number of years have passed. Um, what's it like, you know, coming back to that, the company, you know, where you kind of got your start? Um, how have things matured? What are some of the big differences that, that you see now with regard to their overall EHS program? Sure, that's a great question. You know, as I walk those halls, I do remember walking them as a student, wondering if I would make it as a safety professional. And there is a, a great feeling of satisfaction to walk down that hall now as the leader of not only that site, but 12 others right. in that function. But uh, the responsibility, it weighs heavy and yeah. um, a lot has changed. Mm -hmm. uh, and I will say this, the pace of our profession has, I don't know what number to put on, at least tripled. When I was there 30 years ago, there was time to write procedures and, and get teams together and, and do all the things that we as state professionals are, are taught are important parts of the job, and they still are. Right. The time to do them is so compressed, and mm. the speed at which you need to deliver them, and the speed at which the, the industries and the, the markets are moving is so fast that it really is a challenge. And it, oh, when sure. I compare... The, the pace I was working at as a student, which, you know, I'm a student, but I was right, in a right. team. Um, it is so much faster now, and it takes almost all of that 30 years of experience really to keep up. Yeah. Just this morning, I was moving quick on a couple different kind of hot topics that had come up, most of which are market-driven thanks to COVID. Right. You know, things are happening rapidly, and yeah. you're probably well aware people aren't flying on airplanes right now. No, they're not. They're to come back. Yeah. But the air travel is greatly curtailed, and that has had a huge impact on my company. Uh, we, will, we will get through it. We know how to survive it, as do, I think, most, most good organizations. But it's painful, and it takes a lot of effort and energy, and all that needs to be delivered very quickly now. Yeah. So the pace is the first thing I noticed. The next is just the resources. Uh, when I was at that plant, there were roughly 3,000 people working there. Right. Now it's down below 1,000. We're doing a whole lot more with a whole lot less people. Yeah. That, that has been the trend through my entire career. Mm -hmm. As I started, that is when that push for hyper-efficiency, especially around people, really, really got into high gear. And, and I have lived with that my entire career. So, uh, but it, it is, it really brings it home poignantly when I right. stand in that site and I think about what it looked like with 3,000 people coming and going and, and what it looks like today making just as much metal as they did then, yeah. just as safely and, and just as high quality, but much more automation, uh, just much more efficiency. And uh, that focus on efficiency is, is, is a, a critical aspect of life in industry nowadays. Yeah, you know, and that's interesting to kind of draw upon the impact of safety as you think about the importance of productivity and efficiency and effectiveness and doing more with less. Um, and, and I can, I can only imagine the kind of pressures that that would put on you as, as a leader in that organization to try to keep up. And, and speaking of COVID, I mean, that is something that, uh, you know, hit about the time that you took this new role, uh, which that had to be extremely challenging. But I also expect that based on, you know, knowing you, the, you know, as long as I've known you and knowing a, a bit about you, you probably are uniquely prepared from a career perspective 
to handle something like COVID, even though you've got uh, this brand new role that you're in uh, with this company. So could you give us a sense of kind of how that journey has been for you as you uh, dealt with COVID, uh, um, maybe not on day one, but shortly thereafter? Sure. Boy, it almost was day one. Yeah. Yeah, um, I remember walking into the job, spent the first week there, was watching the news, heard about this thing in China, mm -hmm. thought to myself, that's going to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I was, uh, in, in these many years I've been in this business, I went through the H1N1 um, scare, um, well, it really was a pandemic, yeah. back in the, uh, let's see, what would that have been, uh, early 2000, say mm -hmm. 2008 or nine. Um and I happened to be with a large company then, Honeywell, who was particularly well prepared for a pandemic. And right. When I first saw the material, I thought, wow, these guys are really, really expecting something bad to happen. Well, then this H1N1 <laughs> thing comes. Yeah. And so, you know, I had that experience of seeing what a well prepared company looked like. Mm -hmm. When I got to, to my current employer, SMC, I realized that while they had worked hard on many aspects of their business, that was not one of them that had gotten much attention at all. Right. And uh, it, so it was in the back of my mind that, okay, I got to shore this up because I think, I think it's going to be a problem. Mm -hmm. and just as I started wrapping my head around that, of course it hit in you know, February, right. late February. So I was two weeks into the new job. <laughs> and, Close uh, to day one. Yeah. So all travel got shut down. So now I got all these sites that I can't really visit. So I'm having yeah. to learn how to manage them virtually, which is another outfall of right. my but we'll get to that. Um, the real issue, though, was taking that knowledge I'd gained from my time with Honeywell, as well as the five years with the Occupational Health uh, Organization, some of which, uh, some of the effort there was in infection control because it was a health mm -hmm. organization. Yeah. So I got to interface with the healthcare providers, some great doctors. Um, we didn't always, of course, that wasn't a, a major topic of discussion, but it was a topic because it was one of the risk factors for mm -hmm. not only the employees, but also the patients. Right. So, you know, I had this kind of double exposure to, uh, to infection control and pandemic response. So uh, I sat down one Monday, like on week three, and <laughs> wrote out the procedure for our company to follow. And uh, it has stood the test of time. Now, I, I did manage to get some input from some of the uh, other safety professionals. Sure. Some of them had a bit of experience, but I had the most experience around it. And, uh, you know, it's an opportunity to really demonstrate to uh, the company why, you know, a 30-year health and safety professional is, is, is worth going to find. Oh, yeah. That level of experience, um, there probably aren't uh, many people sitting in the room that, that uh, in any given place that I'm at that, that have covered that range. Yeah. That's one of the things that I found so exciting about my career is, is that wide ranging experience and, and bringing all that unique data and information together into something that can be uh, used quickly like that to make a difference in employees' lives. Yeah. That's, we got that's, through the pandemic uh, so far. I'm not yeah. Relatively well. That's uh, good. We did have some outbreaks and uh, the policies and procedures we put in place were able to contain them. Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, the impact to the business was was minimal, which is really the key uh, for business. Wonderful. Of course, protecting people is the ultimate uh, the ultimate test there, and we did that. That's wonderful. I, I can uh, I can only imagine how well prepared you might have felt, given that background. Um, that certainly would have been 
not just comforting, but knowing that you could rely on that experience that you previously had. And, and I, I get totally, you know, checking with other folks that are, that are kind of experts for, for feedback. So it feels like you're very well positioned. Could you talk about maybe any key learnings or best practices that you were able to put in place to really make that difference? Maybe, maybe a little bit more detail about the plan or, um, other things that other other learnings that might benefit other people hearing from you. Sure, you know there's there's some key steps to that. The first is some type of infection control process, and that starts with identifying employees who uh, either report to work with a temperature or symptoms or develop them at work. And right. you know it can happen to anyone. Uh, the first thing you do, of course, is really pound in the workforce. Hey, if you're not feeling well, you need to not come to work. Yeah. You see a doctor, you need to confer with medical uh, personnel. If you can't get access, then call us and we'll, you know, we have a clinic so we can give you some basic uh, guidance there. But the key was making sure people understand, don't come to work sick. Yeah. For the most part, our employees did a nice job. And um, one of the things we instituted, as many, many companies have, is temperature taking. Yeah. Infrared. Yeah. And um, we have we've found very few employees that have reported to work with the temperature. I mean, it, it can happen, but sure. it's a very rare event. So I think people understand that and uh, they, they, they know if they don't feel well, they should stay home. Right. Uh, along with that is, of course, you got to loosen up your uh, HR policies to allow them to feel like they can make that decision without getting penalized. Yeah. So we, uh, we had to work with HR on that, which, you know, HR is always a good partner to safety. And, um, make sure that was communicated out as well. Uh, the next step though is really, what do you do when somebody says, uh, you know, I was okay this morning, but I don't feel good today. Yeah. And, uh, of course you're, you're evaluating symptoms and the CDC guidance is really important. And I think most safety professionals would, would understand the importance of the CDC in this role. It's similar to OSHA, except right. you know, specialty is pandemic. So it's really important to understand the information that they're giving out and be able to apply that specifically symptoms. And if they're checking the boxes for the symptoms, then you need to have that plan in place for how to extract them from the workplace right. as safely as possible for the other members of the, uh, of the site, as well as the employees on protection. Right. So that's an important program to have in there. Um, another is contact tracing. Mm -hmm. So you know, once the employee says, I'm not feeling good, you get them sent out, you realize there's a real risk here. Mm -hmm. You really gotta know have a good process for, okay, where all has this person been in our site and who have they talked to? Right. You got to get those folks out too. And that 14 day quarantine period is painful. Sure. But through that process, we, every, every instance of an outbreak that we had in our company, we contained it with that one person. Um, so that's impressive. I mean, that's very hard to do as well, given what we know now about the virus and, and how quickly and easily it can spread. Yes. And the other piece is really the social distancing and, right. and really getting people to understand. And that last issue, the contact tracing with the quarantine. So that happens, you know, and, and you end up usually any given employee will talk to a number of employees. So sure. you have some criteria on how much exposure is enough to get, you know, to move to quarantine for these secondarily exposed folks. And you get some number that's exposed. And the rest of the people at the site realize, okay, this is on me to keep right. this distance because you know any of these people could be sick yeah 
and, uh, and, and so I, I need to make sure I keep my mask on. I need to encourage my coworkers to keep their mask on. Yeah. I need to try and maintain that six feet as much as possible. It can be difficult in the industrial environment because it's really hard to hear. Yeah. Feet. But um, yeah, one, one round of, we got to quarantine 10 people plus the sick person. Everybody else figures out real quick. Social distancing is important. Yeah, yeah. Without so that's a key factor there. I think going forward, the automated systems that are going to monitor employee health, and it's going to start with temperature. Mm-hmm. I think those, uh, you know, they're coming into service now. It's a very new field. Mm-hmm. We've all been doing it manually with the little IR, you know, infrared thermometers and shooting yeah. forehead and all that. Not an ideal uh, way to do it, but, you know, it's working. But I think the next step will be this, this automated monitoring. And um, I think companies need to keep up with that. I think that's going to usher in some of the things perhaps we'll talk about at the end here, some of the kind of vision visions yeah. that I have of where safety is headed. So those are some key learnings right there. I guess the last one I, I would say is making sure you have a good decontamination process. Oh, yeah. There's two levels to that. One is just the routine. Every shift, we're going to decontaminate certain things. You know, doorknob to the to the changing room, um, the the break room where people eat. You know, decontaminate or you want to clean that with the appropriate cleaner. Uh, you know, bac- uh, bacterial side or um, related material. Uh, you know, chemical that's going to disinfect. Uh, that all needs to happen like clockwork. Yeah. Then the next thing is that level two. Okay, we've had a case or a suspected case. Let's get in there and do a deep clean. Mm-hmm. And um, Really what I've learned there is you know, originally we had provisions for our own employees to do that deeper cleaning and we still have that. Right. Of course it requires PPE and there's, you don't just tell them go clean. You got to train them to do it. Right. But really there's specialist contractors that, that have better equipment to do that. Mm-hmm. So if it's a small area you can, and your people are properly trained and equipped, you can probably make that work. But if it's a large area, like this employee roam through the, you know, a large part of the site, Right. Quickly, you're going to get overwhelmed. Yeah. Those contractors with the fogging machines become mm-hmm. very important. And um, so that, that was another takeaway that uh, took us a little while to catch up to that one. Yeah. Last thing I'll say for safety professionals on that, some of those disinfecting materials or chemicals that they use for fogging are, in fact, flammable. So mm-hmm. now you've got yeah. an ignition hazard. You've got essentially what amounts to an atomized um, liquid, flammable yeah. liquid fire, which is a, a pretty serious thing. So there's another piece of the uh, traditional safety that now you got to plug back in to make sure those contractors are safe. And of course, you got to take the ignition sources away. Yeah. No. But, uh, yeah, some key learnings there from that, that process. And I did feel very capable of delivering that. And I think we're going to talk about professional connections here in a minute, networking. Yeah. You know, that was the other piece is I knew who I needed to call for some, some key advice on various parts of this. And that's the power of a network. Yeah, that, that's wonderful. No, and thanks thanks for sharing the detail. It's good to kind of understand full circle of, of you know, kind of the prevention piece, the detection piece, the containment piece, the, uh, you know, dealing with the, the uh, contamination and, and disinfecting. That is, that feels like the, the kind of the full spectrum. And then, of course, all of that underpinned with a good plan and, and probably ongoing creativity on the part of you and, and probably your extended team. So thanks for sharing that. I do want to shift gears just a little bit because you, you mentioned a couple of times your network and, you know, in talking in the past and even how we met uh, w- was through an ASSP meeting and you've been active 
uh, for many years uh, in a number of different roles. I, I would love to have you describe a little bit about, you know, you know what roles you have served in and really how uh, Im important and influential and helpful that organization has been to you and, and other, other safety professionals uh, involved in ASSP. That's right. You and I met at a uh, uh, ASSP, American Society of Safety Professionals, chapter meeting here in we Central. We did. We did. Uh, it, I've met so many great people that way. I started off as a student, uh, you know, that kid that was trying to figure out how to take this business degree and do something that fit my desires and, and uh, characteristics a little better. And I uh, found safety, and very early on, the first semester, one of the professors uh, not not the one I was previously mentioning, but another right. one who actually has a great history in our our our, uh, our profession. Dr. Barronclaw was his name, and uh, he told us all as students. He said, "You need to get involved with ASSP. You need to build this network. You need to learn from other people's experience. Uh, you need to be part of this because it's you're a part of a community now, and part of what safe professionals do is, is share things. We're we're right. all in this together to save people." Right. Uh, you do that by working together. So he really pushed it. So I became a member of the uh, student chapter, student section. And that was at Marshall University in West Virginia. Mm -hmm. That plant, in fact, yeah. the plant that I'm at now would host meetings occasionally. So I, I quickly learned that um, there were some very experienced people there that were leading that. And mm -hmm. uh, they were happy to pour the knowledge they had earned and gained over 30 years or more, because some of them were towards the end of their careers. Right. They were happy to pour that into these students. And uh, I was like a sponge. I would suck up every bit of it I could get. And uh, so from there, I, I just thought this was a great organization. You know, I graduated, got my job, started working, uh, stayed involved with ASSP peripherally then. You know, I paid my dues. I read the magazine. I tried to hit a meeting here or there uh, until things kind of slowed down a bit with you know, getting a job and learning how to be a professional versus a college student. Right. About a year and a half later, I started getting involved more with ASSP again and uh, at the chapter level. And there's always opportunity at the chapter level to do things. Mm -hmm. So I would listen for something I thought was interesting and then I would volunteer to do it. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so that went on for a couple of years and I ended up relocating from the, the, where I was first assigned with uh, uh, the Union Carbide Company, which is actually Elkin Metals. Right. I was first assigned with Elkin Metals up in Ohio. Then they moved me back to West Virginia. So I became involved with the West Virginia chapter of mm -hmm. the ASSP. And um, that was an opportunity to become an officer. And I spent some time you know, being in a leadership role. And I wasn't right. there, but chapter president. But I did do several roles and uh, enjoyed it. And then, uh, you know, the career kind of moves you around. So then I was into another chapter. And I actually ended up um, here in central Indiana, where you mm -hmm. and I were. Yeah. You know, so I was here almost 10 years ago uh, for five years, and I got really involved with the Central Indiana chapter of the ASSP, which is one of the largest in the country, uh, top four or five, I think. And I was, again, progressing through these, these officer roles, and the whole time I'm meeting all these great people, and I'm learning about what they do, and, right. and we're talking to each other, and we're, when I have a problem, I call them. When they have a problem that they think I know something about, they call me, and you know I learn whether I'm learning from them directly, um, you know, trying to, to get their information to solve my problem, or whether I'm helping them solve their problem, right. I'm still learning. Right, without so a doubt. It was a really exciting time, and I met some really, really good people that way that I'm still friends with today, and, and you know, professional acquaintances and friends. 
And I got a chance to come back to central Indiana and serve as the chapter president. So when you and I met, yeah. uh, Robin, I had just finished that role up and uh, was, uh, was on to my next role. So you had a great run with Central Indiana chapter. Um, we grew the chapter about 15%, which was, the, the goal was to get back over 500 people, and we yeah. are. So um, that was during my term, and then the guy that uh, followed me has done a wonderful job, and he's, he's taken it on from there. But that set me up to do something that I always wanted to do. So that day I'm walking down the hall at, uh, at that plant, I had two thoughts in my mind. One is I'd, I'd like to be recognized as as the expert for this company in, in health and safety. That was a, an ambition of mine as a 22-year-old kid. <laughs> the other is that, that I'd like to do something for the ASSP someday. I'd like to be you know, a leader in that as well because the guys at, at that plant also were very involved with ASSP at the time. Right. So you know, I don't, it wasn't all on the same day that happened, but I remember having those thoughts that while I was at that period in my life. Yeah. So this was an opportunity to take on a national level role. So uh, I ran for office uh, and for all these roles, you run for office. If you want to be chapter president, you got to run for it and the, the chapter votes for you. If you want to be a regional vice president, which is what I am now, then you got to run in the region. Yeah. So, you know, you got more people voting for you. Now, it just so happens that I've been through six chapters in my career so far with ASSP and most of them were in the region I'm in now, region seven. So right. I had a lot of people who knew who I was, which helped right. me out. Yeah, that's great. So I won the election, and um, I'm a year into that role as an RVP, Regional Vice President for ASSP. And, you know, what a crazy time to walk into that role, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, the world has changed for everyone, but yeah. especially organizations that are, are service-oriented or um, associations like that, you know, they've had to totally change how they do everything. They're right. Just earlier this month would have been the, the annual professional development conference. Well, the last thing we want to do right now is bring, it's about 5,000 people, yeah. bring 5,000 safety professionals together in close contact for three days. You know, it's just not the right time to do that. No, it's not. So cancel that and find a new way. So they're really pushing the edge on virtual conferences. Yeah. That conference actually starts tomorrow, which would be the, what is today? The, yeah, the 23rd of, tomorrow's the 23rd of June. So that conference will go on for three days virtually. And I'm really excited to be part of that because I want to see what have they done to make the virtual experience even better. Right. Um, so, you know, that's something coming up. But, but the network I've established is, is thousands of SAGE professionals. I could pick the phone up and call and, and they could call me and, and, uh, and they do, as do I. And we help each other out on just about any topic under the sun. Yeah, that's tremendous. I, I think having that kind of um, network with professionals and, and knowing that you've got a group to go to who's probably been through what you've been through or been through something similar that you can reach out to. I mean, that's just tremendous to have that. Um, so so thanks, for, thanks for sharing that. Um, when you, okay, so a little bit change of topic again. So when you kind of zoom out and get beyond COVID and you think just about safety programs at this point and how safety programs need to mature going forward. Um, given kind of the things we've talked about with whether it's COVID, whether it's just companies needing to be productive and efficient and move fast and doing less with more, what are some of the things that um, 
you think safety professionals need to be thinking about with regard to improvements as, as they look forward uh, in, into next steps in their own safety programs? I love this question. So, <laughs> you know, my 30 years comes to play here. All this work with ASSP and, and the, the intense focus they have on the future of the profession for the sake of the professionals and the, the people we protect and the, the companies we protect. Right. You know, all that comes together. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think it starts with a, a, a key trend, which NIOSH actually has been the first to grab hold of, which was total worker health. Mm -hmm. Now, in my, in my previous roles, before that occupational health role, you know, I was interested in that, but I kept thinking, well, you know, that's healthcare people, that's HR's role, that's other people's role, mine's keeping people safe at work. And God, right. I got a handful of that. Right. So, you know, that's kind of where it was five years ago. So I get involved with occupational health. I, I start paying attention to what NIOSH is doing with the Total Worker Health Program, which you can find on their website. Just Google Total Worker Health and NIOSH. A lot of work there. And in a nutshell, what it is, is it's the recognition that the safety profession in particular has been very effective at reducing injuries and driving positive outcomes. Right. Um, for the factors we focus on, which is work-related injuries. Mm -hmm. We've been uh, this, the NIOSH folks and other leading industries have been quick, leading companies have been quick to realize it has been good. Unfortunately, we're plateaued with that. Right. Most companies, especially the more forward-thinking ones, have resourced it very heavily, and there just isn't a lot of easy stuff to do. I mean, they're, right. they're putting tremendous effort into incremental changes at this point to improve lockout, tagout. Right. Trans so they're kind of looking for what's next. Where's the next leverage point? Mm -hmm. Leverage point is a wider picture of people's health. Yeah. Work is certainly part of it. It's a big part of it. But so is what they do at home. So are their communities. Mm -hmm. uh, their lifestyles that are driven by work and their home life and their communities. All those are intense factors in their safety on the job. So I think the future is going to move towards a bigger scope for health and safety professionals. And there's kind of two groups in our profession. One group's like, oh, it's just too big. We can't deal with it. Yeah. The other group is embracing it, although they also are saying, boy, this covers a lot of ground. How, how do we Indeed. do it? And so there's a big debate going on with that, which leads me to my second point. And it's one we talk quite a bit about. Yeah. And that is the role of technology, mm -hmm. specifically information technology. When I look at the manufacturing process, when I look at some of the other service aspects of business, I see that technology has had a much bigger role to play. Right. Especially true information technology. Mm -hmm. and the point I'll make is with sales. You know, there is no big company today that, or even medium-sized company, that doesn't have a, a CRM system, customer yeah. relations management system, relationship management, which not only tells, you know, keeps a schedule form like, you know, talk to customer A on this day and time, but also gives them insights. Yeah. Customer A always asks you about this or, you know, customer A's other businesses aren't being serviced. Um, so I look at that and realize in the safety world, we're not doing any of that with the information we have on hand. Right. We've been information people for most of the, the, the safety profession's life, uh, even going back into the 40s, you know, when things mm -hmm. really started. But what have we done with that information? Well, we've crunched it manually as best we can and thought we were really on top of the world with Excel. And I think we were at that time, you know, 20 sure. years ago. But today there's so much more capability and so much more that's coming along. 
So I think we take this new focus on this wide ranging employee health, total worker health, and you couple that with artificial intelligence mm -hmm. and the ability of hardware and software to deliver true insights to, to us as health and safety professionals that we then can easily and, and um, more concisely deliver to our management teams. Right. I think those two pieces are the future. Yeah. And, uh, you know, already artificial intelligence is being utilized uh, in safety now, recently, for a, there's a branch of which you're well aware of, uh, natural language processing. Yeah. It allows us to go back and look at all those decades of, of reports that we have. Of course, some of them are so old now, they're really not relevant. But let's just say the last five years, you can use NLP software to go back and look for the trends and really look past what we as human beings can see as a trend yeah. and discover these deeper insights. I think the future lays in that. The future is not us figuring out how to crunch numbers better ourselves. It's how to utilize, how to leverage technology. There just aren't going to be enough safety people around to mm -hmm. do it the old fashioned way. You've got to use technology to get these insights, deliver it to your management team for rapid action, because yeah. that's the way the rest of their functions are delivering information to them. Without a doubt. Uh, you know, I think it's interesting too, you brought up kind of sales and CRM and you know, when we, we, of course, you, you know about Anvil and, and we're very passionate about putting tech in place, but it, it is shocking to think about all of the advanced technology that's in place, whether it is sales, it might be service, it's on the factory floor, it's for marketing, it's for back office systems. Um, and it feels like, you know, when we think about um, HSE professionals, it's really kind of the last frontier where we haven't innovated as much across the board and as deeply as we need to, whether that is software for that frontline worker, which, which we focus on at Anvil, whether it's the insights coming out of that, it's you know technology, you know, smart PPE and all kinds of tech that you could put in place to deliver really smart data to help you make changes and have that, have that insight. So I violently agree with you. I'm a technologist at heart and um, really want to see broad sweeping changes around what we could do with helping drive those numbers to where we want them to be. We, we want, you know, we want people to go home, um, but we got to have better tools and technology to work with, to, I think, to affect that given the plateau that you mentioned. Absolutely so, right. The, the technology you guys have is very interesting to me because it's a direct line to the person on the floor. Right. And that's one of the hardest uh, routes of communication for safety people to get. I mean, sure, we can walk out of the office and ask questions, and that's a great way to do it. But yes. if you're one person on a site or two yeah. people, you're not going to have enough conversations. You don't have enough time, especially in today's safety environment where we're very, um, very intensely focused on on uh, procedures and and you know written documents and right. emails and get this chart ready for this meeting. You know, you're so wrapped up in trying to deliver. The data that you can't go out and collect it anymore right right and so we need technology to leverage that and, and your app does that and that's what what drew us together i think yeah it is well no i appreciate you sharing that you know it is um there's just so much opportunity i i think um for for companies to work together and for leadership to really think about how they drive the needle and i love talking with you about i know we've talked about this being your passion project thinking about how we apply artificial intelligence. Is there, is there anything else on your wish list about where you'd like to see things go so that we really can move the numbers in the right direction? 
Yeah, you know, as I um, remember when we talked, I had drawn this little chart, and I still have it. <laughs> oh, I love it, yeah. Um, the unique thing is is this intersection of technology with wearables. Yes. You hear a lot about that, you know, yeah. whether it's uh, the Apple Watch or mm -hmm. um, uh, some of the new technology around uh, muscular or um, exoskeletons. Mm -hmm. um, you've also got the Internet of Things, where now you've got the uh, you know, your refrigerator keeps track of how many times the doors opened or yes, you know, how it does. Long it's open <laughs> your son's there just standing there looking, trying to figure out what to again. So you got all this this information coming from these new pieces of technology. And I think that's the missing piece to really, really um, find some whoops, I've got to shut something down. Really find some true insights into uh, what's going on out there. So that's that's one. The other one is machine vision. Mm -hmm. We always talk about eyes eyes on the floor, eyes on the process. You know, watching people work, not to get them in trouble, but to help them work safer. Well, again, if you're one safe professional, you got two pairs of eyes. Yeah, and they're all one pair of eyes. And they're always focused in the same direction. So why not harness the the machine vision, the the, the computer itself, to give it the ability to watch what's going on in the work floor? And this right. is already happening in athletics. Yeah watch the NFL or the NBA or even Major League Baseball, that's a machine watching the game, mm -hmm. keeping stats, giving insights. Uh, all that is happening. The technology is already there. Right. We just need to apply it in the safety world. How would we do that? It would be things like, okay, here's a key intersection in our site. Do people look before they cross the intersection? Right. A forklift stop or honk their horn or do whatever they're supposed to do before they cross the intersection. How many of those employers are wearing PPE? You know, what's their gait look like? Does it look like they have some musculoskeletal issues coming, uh, coming up for them? All that technology is out there. Yeah. We just need to apply it. We need AI to be able to make sense of it and give us real insights instead of just raw data that overwhelms us. Yeah. So that's really my passion is watching all this develop and trying to help the profession really be on the, the well, we're, we got to catch up to the cutting edge. Yes. But to get there and then be part of it going forward. No, that's wonderful. I, I love talking to you about it. And I and it is your passion process project. I can tell by the tone in your voice and the excitement you have about seeing where this could go. So, well, I want to thank you. We've covered a lot of ground today from, you know, your journey into the profession, uh, you know, how you've dealt with COVID, how you've leveraged a very important network with ASSP, uh, all the way to, to your passion projects and, and, and recommendations for other safety professionals in their safety programs. I want to thank you sincerely for joining us today. Uh, we look forward to talking with you again in the future and wish you the best of luck with your new gig. Well, thank you, Robin, for the opportunity to talk with you and, and spend some time just kind of perusing topics around <laughs> health and safety. And as always, I always enjoy talking with you and look forward to the next time we get a chance to collaborate. <laughs>